All right. Our scripture reading for today is from Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 22. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They said, In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we need you. We desperately want to look to your word and have an encounter with your son and give glory to your son. And God, to do that, we need your Holy Spirit to breathe on my words in this moment right here and right now. God, even hearing that passage being read, we know we are treading on ground that can be slippery and very difficult to understand. For some, this can be a very fearful topic to jump into, but I pray in Jesus' name that your sovereign hand and victory over the enemy and the powers of darkness would be seen and tasted by all at Auburn Community Church today. That fear and lies would have no place in the hearts and minds of your beloved. 
God, thank you that you're drawing us closer to you. Thank you that the invitation to become more like Jesus is not an invitation to be a more disciplined or better person. It's an invitation to become who we really are created in your image. God, would you pour out your mercy and grace on me, an unworthy vessel, as I preach this word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Buckle up. We got demons beating up people, running around naked, bleeding. We got, I'm serious. That's what you just heard. That's what was just read. Was anybody else reading this and going, some of you who haven't been in church very long or maybe you've never read the Bible, you're like, wait, did he just say what I think he said? A bunch of people got beat up and ran out naked and bleeding? Like, what, what is going on in the story of the scriptures? Today, We are talking about the biblical theme of spiritual warfare, and anytime I say something like that, I need to quickly provide a caveat and say that is a man-made term about a biblically taught reality, similar to Trinity. And we talk about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You need to understand the Bible never uses the word Trinity anywhere. The Bible describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We came up with the term Trinity to describe something that is true in the Scripture. Same thing with spiritual warfare. And we're talking about powers of darkness against the kingdom of light. What we are doing is trying to make sense of this story that we see written throughout the Scriptures and throughout our lives. So if you need a title for today's sermon, it is called Two Kingdoms Collide. You see the kingdom of darkness being met in full power with the kingdom of light. But you don't just see this in a mystical, a little bit crazy story in Acts chapter 19. You see this all around you and all throughout the scriptures. It is so important if you're a believer in Jesus in 2024 to understand the era of redemptive history that you live in where you sit right now. We call it the already but not yet. It means because of the fall of mankind... We were separated from God because of our sin, and the wages of sin is death. So this is the reason why people die. It's the reason why evil is the natural inclination of the human heart. Nobody has to teach a kid how to be mean or steal. They're just, they're just born into it, and I know that. Because I have three and a fourth one coming, and it becomes even more true the older that they get. Like, no one has to train them in what it means to do the wrong thing. We are naturally bent toward evil, but God, in our sin, his response is to send his perfect son as a baby boy who grows up to be a perfect man who is sacrificed on a Roman cross, doesn't stay dead, but is raised to life. And the promised Jewish Messiah, son of God and son of man, is raised to life, ascends to the right hand of God, and sends the Holy Spirit down at Pentecost to indwell any and every believer who by grace through faith trusts Jesus with their life and makes the decision, I'm going to follow him and be his disciple. Okay, that's, that, that's a narrative of the gospel story, but you have to understand when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, that's where he is now, but he's coming again. So when Jesus comes down, the kingdom of God is here in full, Holy Spirit goes out, but yet at the same time, there's something incomplete about it. That's why right now you live in a time where the kingdom of God is pushing against the kingdom of darkness and the darkness is pushing back. It's why life can be so beautiful and so heartbreaking. It's why creation can take your breath away and also end your life in a split second. It's why cancer exists. 
At the same time, it's why friendship exists. You're like, it's this beautiful picture of the image of God in humanity and in the world, and yet at the same time, feels like things are falling apart and even more chaotic and evil. And I don't know how to make sense out of both of these things. But if you have a, a worldview where you know you're in the already but not yet, all of a sudden things will start to fall into place. You'll start to understand why your sanctification seems to be so slow. I'm trying to become more like Jesus, but I keep acting like the me that I used to be, and I feel like I'm not changing, and I'm frustrated, and God must not love me. No, you need to understand, you live in a time where two kingdoms are colliding, and that's not just true about the world around you. That's true about your life individually, and you're becoming more like Jesus, but there are real powers and real forces pushing against you at the same time. It explains so much about the struggles that you have in this life. It explains so much about the world around you, but it also explains things about the unseen spiritual realm all around us. Now, I realize I'm on dangerous ground right now, but this sermon has been coming for a long, long time. I believe at Auburn Community Church, we have to learn to normalize talking about powers of darkness and evil. We have to learn to read a weird story like Acts 19 and go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. A demon would do that. And that, that, that story would happen in my mind because I think we have a context in our mind for the kingdom of God clashing with the kingdom of darkness on a lot of different grounds, but not on grounds for things like demon possession. I'll give you an example. When church ends today and Mark invites everybody who needs prayer to come and pray, you would think it would make perfect sense for somebody to come forward who's stuck in some kind of addiction, maybe to a substance or maybe to a habit, and they're going, I want to change, but I can't change. I need help. Would you pray for me? Would you connect me to community? Everybody around us would go, yeah, that's a kingdom issue, and we want to rally around you, and as the local church, step into that with you. If a marriage came forward, they said, hey, we're having issues in our marriage. We want to be reconciled, but we got these issues. We want to connect you with the counselor. We want to pray over you. We, we look at realities like that and we go, oh yeah, that's where the kingdom of God is spreading. Things like justice or even racism. This needs to be said on MLK weekend that racism is a picture of the kingdom of darkness having its way. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, sorry, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s life stood as a beacon against that kingdom of darkness reality, speaking the kingdom of light against it where reconciliation and unity and relationships are possible. So we see the kingdom of God in all these different realities, but then in the unseen realm, we all get weirded out. If somebody came forward after church today and said, hey, I, I think I have like a demonic spirit oppressing me, we would go, whoa, yeah, I'll know about that. Uh, I, I, don't have, I don't have a context. I, I've got like a context for weird Christians in my mind. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about. But you know what's crazy? Out of all those situations I just described about the kingdom of God, the ones that seem the most natural, they are markers of the kingdom. But do you know the one that's most common in the New Testament? The weird one I just talked about. And so for us, at it mostly orthodox, conservative Christian church in 2024, we like to read stories like Acts 19 and go, well, that was weird. Let's move on to the next page. Here's the thing. At Auburn Community Church, we don't move on to the next page. We believe all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and correction. And so we're going to look into this passage and not be afraid of what is unfamiliar and kind of fearful territory for so many of us. But we're going to do this so, number one, you will have personal confidence in your life about what the Holy Spirit has done to redeem you. 
I don't want talk about demons or exorcisms or powers of darkness to ever make a Christian at Auburn Community Church feel like they got to recoil and pull away and be afraid. No, because of what Jesus has done, you need to know the Holy Spirit on the inside of you has accomplished even more for you than you're giving him credit for. And I want you leaving today confident, not afraid. I want you leaving not just confident about what God has done in you. I want you to leave confident about ministering to others who may be oppressed by powers of darkness. I want you to be a Christian who knows what Jesus has done for me. doesn't make me pull away from the darkness and ignore it because I don't understand it. But no, I've got enough knowledge to engage it and not be afraid of it because I know what Jesus has done on my behalf. And I know what it means for the kingdom of light to push against the kingdom of darkness. Because here's the thing. There was a kingdom that had reign and rule before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And that kingdom was toppled in full when our king hung on a cross. And now, through the testimony of every believer who would trust Jesus, death and sin and evil are slowly but surely being defeated by light and life and peace. And you and me are the agents of that kingdom being advanced. And so we're gonna go into this story a little bit nervous, but open to what God might say to us. Do you still have your scripture open? Go back to Acts 19. Some of y'all are like, I am so glad I invited a friend today. I mean, perfect day. Who knew? Hey man, my church, it's really cool. God's moving, you gotta come, they come. Yeah, we're gonna talk about demons and we're gonna talk about spirits of evil. Well, it's, you should have read ahead. Acts chapter 19. <laughs> Verse one, let's, let's just quickly read over, read over these verses and then we'll, we'll talk to it since we already read over it in full. It says, while Apollos, we met him last week, was at Corinth. Oh, it's such a cool fact that Corinth's, Corinth's uh, th th their patron god was Apollo. And now a guy who's named after the sun god is ministering the gospel in that city. I just think that is so cool. But Paul takes the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, which is not far away. So first and second Corinthians are written to the church in Corinth. Ephesians in your Bible is written to the church in Ephesus. So is a letter at the beginning of Revelation. This church pops up several times. Here's how it started. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. So the church in Ephesus begins with 12 genuine worshipers of the one true God, Yahweh. And as Paul gets to Ephesus, he goes where he always goes to the synagogue, finds some worshipers, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm teaching you about here's what God has done in the Holy Spirit. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What would you say about this Holy Spirit? Now, these guys know who the Holy Spirit is because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon people for powerful works, but they have no context for an, an inner dwelling within them to connect them to God. And Paul goes, Did were y'all not baptized? The word baptized means immersed. Were you not filled no, 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 no. The baptism we received was the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist. When John the Baptist preached, he was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and his message was, repent for the kingdom is near. In other words, John's going, he's coming soon, so you need to turn from your sin and trust in God because the time is coming where a new kingdom is coming to reign on planet Earth, and you need to make your heart ready. 
And Paul's going, no, 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 it's not looking forward to the Messiah anymore. It is now looking backward at the finished work of the Messiah and being filled with his power. So what happens? They are baptized. They are immersed underwater as a symbolic sign to know you have been filled to the brim with the life of Jesus and you are now in Christ. Unity with Christ is the most dominant theme of the New Testament of your Bible. And baptism means you in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. And then at the same time, they are filled with a supernatural gift to be able to prophesy and speak in tongues the same way the believers were filled in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. Baptism into Jesus means you are saved by grace through faith and you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and you are also gifted with a certain spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit to function in the kingdom of God. Now, this is the first year we've really tried to put definitions around these things and go, hold on, if you're gifted with specific gifts from the Holy Spirit, don't you want to know what those gifts are? And don't you want to start to walk in the Spirit's power? That's why Tyler Miller taught on this in church at home. And there's a full assessment that you can take anytime you want to on our website to go, I don't want the Holy Spirit to be this force that's out there that I don't know about. I want to know what have I been filled with on the inside, but make no mistake about it. A spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit of God is not a second baptism. Ephesians tells us there's one baptism for believers, and it is when by grace through faith you trust in Jesus and he fills you with his Holy Spirit. There might be something supernatural that happens in that moment. There might not, but you better believe you have been filled with supernatural power from on high, and the more you grow in your faith and your knowledge of God, the more you're going to grow in what it means to be constantly and consistently filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing with his power. How am I doing? Stepping all around landmines today for a lot of different people, but just want to make sure you guys are aware. The Holy Spirit is available to fill you right where you are as a believer in Jesus. And this is happening in Ephesus, connecting them with the believers all the way back in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem in Pentecost. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way, so Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews in Greek who lived in the province of Asia, Asia heard the word of the Lord. Y'all, this is, this is insane. Paul is a working tent maker who's able to make the gospel known to all the provinces of Asia right from his home base in Ephesus. And he's going to be there for about three years. I just want you guys to understand how hard this guy was working to make some of these things happen. In ancient Ephesus, there was a schedule for your workday. It looks a lot different than our workday right now. You worked from 7.30 a.m. until 11 a.m. And then you were off from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. How awesome would that be? 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., you're off. But then... You got to go back to work from 4.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. So that means Paul, his daily life, if you want to know, what does a day in Paul's life look like in Ephesus? It means probably waking up before the sun comes up to be with God because he lived a life that was emulating the life of his rabbi, Jesus, and then going to work at 7.30, building tents from 7.30 to 11, teaching people all day about the kingdom of God from 11 to 4 p.m. And then going back to work that night. And somehow with that type of a schedule, he's able to make the gospel known, not just to Ephesus, but to the entire province of Asia. This is where so many of the churches you read about in the New Testament of your Bible actually sprung forward. And his ministry is marked by hard work and a quiet life. 
Man, I, I have loved all the talks that we've had at 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, but if you didn't hear Irene Lysovitz's talk about living and making it your ambition to live a quiet life, it was so powerful. And you see this in Paul. He's working with his hands. He's living a quiet life, yet at the same time, God is moving through his preaching and through his speaking. And God's moving miraculously. Let's read verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Okay, this is where, for a lot of you, it's like, yeah, okay, I'm out. I'm out on the handkerchief thing. Because it was late one night, I saw some kind of an ad on my TV growing up for a handkerchief that a televangelist had blown his nose in that was gonna heal my mom and didn't heal my mom, and she ordered it and did it. I didn't do that, but that could have been your story, especially if you're from the South, like I am. Um, and, and it's like all, all kind of abuses have happened in light of these verses. Here's what you need to know about Ephesus Ephesus was the capital city, if there was a capital city for dark arts and magic in the ancient world. A lot of witchcraft, a lot of sorcery, a lot of weird stuff happening in this city. So much so that Luke, who wrote Acts, is going, hey, Paul did miracles there, but these weren't just like normal miracles. Apparently there's normal miracles. Um, He's like, these were weird miracles. Like if people just touched clothes that had touched him, they were getting healed. Why would God do something like that if he hardly ever does something like that? Because when the darkness has made itself that exposed, the kingdom that's colliding with the darkness is going to make itself equally as publicly known. And the signs of the kingdom of God are out there in full display in Ephesus. You got people being healed just by touching garments of clothing. You got the dead being raised. You got all kind of crazy stuff was happening in Ephesus. Why? because they were used to crazy. Part of the reason why we don't see as many miracles as we wanna see in the United States of America today is because we fail to believe that there is a kingdom that these miracles are operating against to attest to and testify to the kingship of Jesus. So where we don't believe that there is darkness, we don't notice when there is light. That's why if you go on a mission trip, particularly to a third world country, they got no problem believing in miracles because they also have no problem noticing the activity of the demonic. So in Ephesus, the miracles are rare and people are getting saved, and people are getting healed. If what I said earlier about the entire world is true, and there are two kingdoms that collide, what do you think is going to happen if people are getting healed, and people are believing in Jesus, and a church is growing in the capital city of the ancient world for dark arts and evil spirits and magic? What do you think is going to happen next? The darkness is going to resist. Anytime you take new ground for the kingdom of God, the darkness resists. That's what happened when we opened this building. That's what continues to happen as more people get saved here. And that is absolutely what happened here. Let's read what happens. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What just happened? These seven sons of Siva are Jewish followers of a chief priest who make money off doing exorcisms. 
You know when Jesus would cast out demons, he said to the Pharisees, hey, when you guys cast out demons, you do it this way. That means that it was a common practice in ancient Judaism for the people who followed the God Yahweh to deliver people from oppression from demonic forces. So they would do this, and they start using this powerful name, the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And apparently it worked a couple of times because they keep doing it until one day there's a demon that has something to say in response. Wait, the Jesus whom Paul preaches, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about. The literal translation is Paul I respect. But who are you? Miles, what does this mean? You need to mark this down. It is very, very dangerous to attempt to apply the benefits of Jesus' name and not know him personally. It is very dangerous to try to apply the benefits of Jesus' name and not know him personally. And before you laugh at these guys, like look at y'all pretending to know Jesus and you got beat up by a demon and now you don't even have your clothes. And, and you're, before you laugh at them, just know this is equally as true in the American church today. Where do we try to use Jesus' name and apply the benefits of his name without knowing him personally? In the half-hearted, cultural, lukewarm church that just wants the kingdom without the king, that just wants heaven without having to walk in repentance, that just wants all the good things that come from the kingdom of light without ever really having to bow and bend your knee to the king who takes the throne of your life and heart. When you apply the benefits of Jesus' name without knowing him personally and intimately, you are on dangerous ground spiritually. And these guys mess around with the name of Jesus and they find out quickly. Oh, you can't. You can't just throw around a name like that. And the house of Satan is now divided against itself. You know, Jesus said, Satan goes against himself. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So these are two evil forces at war with one another. And Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees the whole time. If I drive him out, how is it that you say, I am using evil spirits to drive out evil spirits. This is Satan imploding against himself without the kingdom of God even having to do anything. Verse 17, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. The church in Ephesus, their response to this event happening is fear. And not like fear of the darkness, but fear of the Lord. And they go, oh, if that's what happens to people who are faking it, I got some stuff that I'm hiding back in my house, back in my tent that Paul made for me in his extra work time. Like I got, I got, I got this stuff that I, I got some scrolls, I got some incantation books, I got, some, I got a history with some sorcery. And if that's what's happening to people who are kind of playing both sides, here's my stuff. They confess in response to the power of God and the word of God is spreading. I just want to say this, 50,000 drachmas, that's, that's like a day's wage, one drachma. That means like millions of dollars are being put into the fire of people going, hey, I'm not, I'm, I'm not living this life anymore. Yeah, but do you know how much you could sell that? I don't want the money from it. I don't want my hands on it. I want it so far from me because what I just saw and what I just experienced shows me I can't play games with this Jesus thing anymore. I've got to surrender and go all in. Now, 
Everybody, whether you're watching online or in overflow or in this room or at another location, look at me right now and pay attention to what I'm about to say. Y'all, I know this story is weird. I know we are venturing into ground that is super uncomfortable for a lot of different people because it would be easier to ignore it. It's definitely confusing and it's a little bit scary to consider what it could mean for your life personally. But just as much as this story is weird, you need to know this story is also real. And what I've been saying to our church for the better part of the last year is that when you open yourself up to more of the Holy Spirit of God, you also open yourself up to notice demonic forces and powers of darkness that you previously could have ignored. We said that when we opened this building. We knew taking new ground like this puts a target on your back and you will notice new things and new powers and new activity possible. So when I challenge you guys to read the John Thompson book, Convergence, about spiritual gifts, that's not like an Enneagram book that just tells you, oh, your personality's like this and you should work on these things. It's an acknowledgement that the Holy Spirit is at work, but also that there are other forces at work. And one of John Thompson's warnings in that book is, hey, as you step into more of the Holy Spirit, pay attention. He even tells church leaders, pay attention if you put this in front of your church because stuff's going to start to be stirred up. I'm really excited, y'all. John Thompson, who wrote Convergence and also Deliverance, which is about a lot of this stuff, about demonic forces, he's actually preaching at our church in two weeks, like two weeks from right now, he'll be here in our act series, bringing the word of God, just telling us, hey, now you guys have heard about spiritual gifts, but what's the next step beyond that now that you've started to acknowledge how the Holy Spirit has empowered you individually? I'm really excited about it. But I read this warning in Convergence, and I was like, huh, I don't have a lot of history with demons. At least not like vocal back and forth. Like I've seen some stuff in Haiti, a lot of voodoo dolls and some things around some fires that made me really uncomfortable. And I definitely saw spiritual oppression there. I've also seen some stuff in Asia at some shrines with like people bowing down to false gods and burning incense. But I've never had one-on-one combat with a demon. And so I'm, I'm like reading his book and the warnings there. And I'm like, wow, that'd be interesting if that happened. I don't really know what I would do. And it, it had never happened until four months ago. And I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened seven nights of prayer for the purpose of awakening you to what's happening in our church that you may not see. So you know, back in August, we did seven nights of prayer instead of 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do that in January. We did seven nights in August. It was kind of experimental. It was like every night we'll talk about a different church from Revelation. We'll pray. It was a lot like 21 days of prayer. It's like a quick devotional. Everybody spread out, pray together, take communion, whatever you want that time to look like, and then we'll come dismiss at the end. Well, one night at seven nights of prayer, I was sitting like on the front row right over here, and I heard this sound behind my right shoulder, and it was a very uncomfortable sound. There was a man who was saying words, but they weren't intelligible, but they were also very discomforting. Just the way he was crying out was like, that's, that's not normal. So I turned around, and I noticed a bunch of our prayer team moving towards him, and I'm going, okay, that's good, and, and those guys I trust, and I know that they're, they're on it. But he's just getting louder and, and a little bit belligerent and a little bit like, okay, this, this doesn't need to go on. We've got a lot of people in this room who are now watching this situation unfold. If you're in the room, you might know a little bit of what I was talking about. So I came over to them and I said, hey, we need to get this guy to the prayer room. we got a prayer room that's right beside uh, our lobby, and some of the purpose behind that is if there's a situation that needs a private conversation, we can quickly move over there. So we bring him into the prayer room, and as we're walking, he suddenly like comes back to himself and he starts apologizing with tears. 
And he, he's like, I'm so sorry. I have never been here before. I just felt like I needed to come here for freedom and help. I live about an hour away. If I was just doing anything that was in any way distracting, I am so sorry. I don't mean to. It just happens. And we're like, yeah, okay. Like he, he's kind of coming back to normal and sits down in the prayer room. We're like, tell us a little bit about what happened. He's like, well, I don't want to weird you guys out. But there's, there's been a demon oppressing me for multiple years. And I've been able to get some relief from some of what happens, but I, what just happened to me in that room is wherever the presence of God is kind of stirred up, this starts to happen, and I don't know how to deal with it, and I need help. So me and the prayer team, we're all looking at each other like, you guys ready? All right, all right, so this is, so this is happening. Now, Deliverance 101 slash Demon Possessed People 101, don't jump to casting out demons the moment you think demonic activity might be at play. Okay, there's a lot of questions to ask and a lot of factors. A lot of people who think they have demonic activity just have bad habits and need your help pastoring them and delivering them into a personal discovery. So the last thing I want this message to end with today is everybody thinking they have a demon and everybody running around doing deliverance ministry. That is not what we want to happen at ACC. So we ask him questions, how long is this happening? Was there an event in your life that it stemmed from? Are there habits that are feeding into this? What, what does the voice sound like? What is it? Okay, so we ask him a bunch of questions. Then we feel good. Okay, it's about four or five of us. We're gonna lay hands on him and pray. And y'all, I, I kid you not, I exaggerate like two no degree at all in the story. The second the name of Jesus is uttered in our prayer, this guy is gone. Arched back, foaming mouth, burping, eyes in the back of his head. His whole, not only did his countenance change, but the dictation of his words was totally different. It was this arrogant attitude. It was, in a split second, a demon talking through a man. And you guys know how normal and biblical I am. Like, stay with me, guy. I would not make this up in front of you. I've never seen anything like this. So I'm in the prayer room. I'm the lead pastor. I'm the leader of this prayer team. And I'm going, oh, that's what this is like. All right, it's on now. All right, it's, it's happening. It's like that episode of The Office. It's happening. Okay, what are we doing? Okay, I'm supposed to know. All right, so, and so I'm, uh, once again, so glad you invited your friend. And so we're all like, we're praying and, and, and this demon's having a conversation with us. He won't talk about Jesus or the blood of Jesus at all, but he's definitely not giving ground on this guy's life. And, and because of the training in the books that we have read about deliverance, we were wise enough to know, hey, at a certain amount of time, praying for this guy was no longer helping him. It was actually physically hurting him. He was not in a position to receive full deliverance in that moment because of some unrepentance in specific areas of his life. And we were able to have that conversation. And, and there's so much more to this story that I, I have to wrap up quickly and, and also just, uh, just honor this guy's story that's still ongoing. But we're still in communication with him, still texting him and helping him as much as we possibly can. But that night was not the moment to go, okay, this demon's going to be cast out permanently and completely. It was a moment to help a guy, and it's a story I wanted to tell you because this is a guy who was sitting right there at a prayer event of our church who had never even been to our church but felt like this was where he was supposed to go because there might be freedom and healing available for him. Now, Miles, why are you telling us this story? Because number one, I want you to know this is around you more than you think it is. But also, I want to tell you about what happened the night after. 
I knew that a lot of our people were shaken up by what happened in that room. There were a bunch of students outside of the room, and there's about five of us in the room. So I called anybody who was around that situation. Hey, meet me in the prayer room tomorrow night before seven nights of prayer. We need to talk about something. And, and I'm just going, hey, I know that was crazy. I know a lot of you are thrown off by what you saw, but these are kingdom realities that we got to make ourselves comfortable with because we know that where Jesus reigns and his kingdom is declared, there's another kingdom resisting in real ways in our day. Is everybody okay? So we talk about it for a little bit. And I said, I just want to minister to you guys. When that demon was talking, were any of you thinking about how unqualified you were to be in the room because of the sins of your past? Like, were you quickly reminded of some shame that made you go, I don't need to be in this room? Almost like immediately, everybody who was in the room was like, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, that's not a surprise at all. Because where the powers of darkness are present, so are lies and reminders of who you used to be. Of course there was shame. Of course you were going, I can't help this guy. I need help myself, and I don't have my stuff figured out. And if that de- what if that demon knows about this and this and this? And, I just, and, and, and the temptation is to pull back where the darkness is. And I told them what I want to tell you from this message today. Your confidence to minister to people who are oppressed by spiritual powers of darkness is the same confidence that you should be filled with from within as a believer in Jesus. And it is a confidence that is not tied to your own righteousness. It is tied to what gives you the victory over the enemy and over every power of darkness, which is what? The blood of Jesus. Where the blood of Jesus is proclaimed and remembered, the darkness must flee and has nothing to say. I said, guys, you wouldn't be more qualified to minister to that guy a year from now once you get your stuff together. You're not qualified to minister in God's kingdom as you develop to a certain level of righteousness. It is your acknowledgement of your own unrighteousness that puts you in a position for the blood to cover you and the spirit to fill you. So you have to remember that it is the blood of Jesus that gives you victory over the darkness. And when we get on on talking about some of this ground and talking about some of these stories, I don't want a church of people sitting on their hands and going, well, I don't know the stuff and I haven't read the books and I don't, no, 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 no. Here's what you need to know. Jesus shed his blood to redeem you and Satan and powers of darkness have no power over your life. You are filled with the Holy Spirit from on high. That's the truth. That's what you need to know, and that's what you need to hold on to. If you feel unqualified, if you feel afraid, and if you feel, most of all, exposed. Did anybody notice what the church in Ephesus wanted to do after the story about the demon? They all wanted to throw their secrets into the fire. It's because talking about this stuff has a way of shaking you up, kind of nervously exposing you. But the cross says, hold on, hold on, you don't got to do that nervously. You can do that openly because Jesus died openly. Here's what Colossians 2 says about our victory over sin and Satan. It says, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Now watch this. And having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible, if you know what it means. It means when Jesus died on the cross, his blood was a payment on your behalf. What you owed to God was paid in full if you've claimed faith in Christ. 
The blood of Jesus has covered you from every stain and wrinkle and shame that could ever keep you from the presence of God. But God is so much better than just canceling your sin. He wants to make a show of his victory over the darkness. And it says, the cross disarmed the powers and authorities. What powers and authorities? Evil, Satan, lies. And he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Why did Jesus die openly and publicly, naked and hanging? Because God was announcing to the dark, you have lost. And Jesus wins. The cross is where you look to remember The kingdom of darkness is passing away and the kingdom of light has won because it is finished. And every time we stir up faith in this room, every time we stir up faith anywhere about the cross, that is what we are celebrating. And that cross means freedom for the captives. That cross means justice for those who are oppressed. That cross means food for those who are impoverished. That cross means hope for those who are depressed. And that cross means the possibility of freedom for those who feel oppressed by the darkness. And we got to be a church that so boldly proclaims the cross that we're no longer scared to walk on ground that we know is a turf war. You ever heard of turf wars? That's the world you live in right now. And at Auburn Community Church, there is a war for your soul just as much as there is a war for the ground you walk on. And we're proclaiming because of the cross, hey, I don't engage and fight that war on my own merit. That war has already been won. And the headline of the cross reads, Jesus wins. I want you walking in victory. I want you walking confident. And I want you walking as an agent of the kingdom that is pushing back the dark. How are you guys? You okay? We got a co- oh, No, you're not. Okay, they're not. Are y'all good? Through a screen? All right, yeah, y'all, you've got to stir up faith here. Two things before we take communion and remember what Jesus did. What, Miles, what do you want me to do with this crazy story and with this message that you brought? Number one, I want you to redirect your fear of the darkness and turn it into fear of the Lord. Redirect your fear of the darkness and turn it into fear of the Lord. Notice that they were seized with fear when this story happens. The only fear in the Bible that is recommended is the fear of the Lord. In fact, Scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't fear those who can kill the body. Which whenever Jesus says that, I'm like, really? Don't fear those who can persecute you and execute you? He goes, no, fear the one who can kill body and soul and send you to hell. Do you know who can kill body and soul and send you to hell? Not Satan. He does not have that right or authority. God. Like, what a statement from the Son of God. Don't be afraid of them. The worst they can do is kill you. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm afraid, Jesus. Like, what, what, what? Oh, no, no, be afraid of the one who has more power. There's a healthy fear of the Lord. Not that he's going to to punish you because he's your heavenly father, but there's a healthy awe and wonder in his presence that goes, I know that you're holy and I know that you're in control. And so my response to knowing that there are two kingdoms colliding is not hiding in a corner because the darkness might expose me. It's coming out into the light and knowing in response to who you are, God, here's my scrolls. Here's my incantation books. Here's what I'm hiding. Because if you publicly expose my sin on Jesus, why am I pretending to have it all together? Together still. 
Why am I still pretending to be one of those who are all in when really I got all these secrets that are buried? No, our response is to come openly with confession because the reality is believers have nothing to be afraid of in the spiritual realm. Did you notice in this story who needed to be afraid? Not Paul, not the believers, the people who were pretending and using Jesus's name for their own benefit but not walking with him personally. That's when you need to be afraid. At the end of Acts, we're gonna read a story about Paul getting bit by a viper when he reaches into a fire. He's just trying to make a fire after a shipwreck and he gets bit by a snake. And you're like, Lord, after all he just went through, a snake as well? And scripture says he shook the snake off. And they were amazed that even a venomous snake did not have power over the Lord's anointing. He just goes, oh, another attack? Okay. If the blood of Jesus covers your heart and you are saved by God, this is not a conversation that you move into with all this trepidation and fear. You move confident going, every attack against me cannot prosper because I am a son or a daughter of the living God and the blood has covered me in full. So, so, so I want you to like shake the snake off today and go, I'm okay. Jesus has got me. But take what you want to be afraid of in the dark and turn it into, okay, fear the Lord. What am I hiding that needs to come out into the light? And as you do that, just know, we know you're broken. It took Jesus being exposed naked and bleeding out in front of everyone to save you. Your sin's ugly, like really bad. So is mine. So stop believing that there's got to be this level of manipulation or control over revealing your stuff in community. I'm not saying like get up here on stage and announce it. We wouldn't let you do that anyway, or we might take you to the prayer room. But, um, but I'm just saying, can we live openly in fear of the Lord and confess our sins to one another? Number two, live as a weapon against the darkness, not as a non-factor in the kingdom of God. Somebody just whistled. Live as a weapon against the darkness, not as a non-factor in the kingdom of God. You know you're one or the other. You're either a weapon in the kingdom of light or you are a non-factor. And today, what should scare you more than any demon or power of darkness is the thought that a demon might say about you what they said about these seven guys. Who are you? Jesus, I know. Paul, I've heard about. Paul, I respect. But who are you guys? I promise you, you will lose more living addicted to comfort and the pleasures of this life than you will ever lose serving God. Being a weapon in the kingdom of God is the ultimate adventure that you have been called to. And I honestly believe that for way more of you than would be willing to say it publicly, part of the reason why you are not more vocal about your faith and part of the reason why you're not more radical about this Jesus movement, you'll give a big check every once in a while and you'll go to the thing and you'll proclaim loyalty to him, but there's a part of you that holds back. I actually believe part of the reason why you're a little slow at being totally surrendered to God is because you don't want the target on your back that will come from the enemy. And you hear a story like this, and it's just a reminder, and you're like, yeah, that's, that, that's why I don't want to go all in. I don't want to be on the radar of spiritual powers. I just, I want to do the Jesus thing and stay in my own lane. And I just want to say, if that's you today, you have more to be afraid of than the one who's on the front lines, honest and open, and going, I know I'm a target, but Jesus is having his way for me. I, I want the darkness to know my name. In fact, look at what I am doing right now. They know who I am. They know who my family is. 
And that does not make me for one second go, I'm gonna lose sleep over this. What would make me lose sleep is to know that we are in a cosmic battle and my life could be wasted this side of eternity. You've been invited into an adventure and I know this is hard to understand, but because you live in a time where two kingdoms are colliding, please understand the target is the adventure. Like how, how boring would a life be that's just live for as much comfort as I can here and now and make it into heaven one day. No, I wanna get into heaven knowing I took every inch of ground that the Holy Spirit called me to take, accessing by faith through grace, the Holy Spirit within me. Sign me up to it being hard. Sign me up to knowing there's going to be resistance because when we get there, it's all going to be worth it and you get to take the crown of every beating, of every lie, of every moment of oppression and place it at the feet of Jesus as your gift to the Son of God who died to save you from those powers. So I'm, I'm okay with being a target. And if you're here just within the sound of my voice, bad news, you already are. Scripture reminds us that holiness is what we are called to. And Robert Murray McShane, pastor from years ago said, a holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. He doesn't mean awful like bad. He means like terrorizing against the enemy. You, you know what makes you a, a force against darkness? personal holiness, being set apart by God and go, God, I got nothing to hide. I'm in your presence. Here's my stuff. Would you allow your blood to remind me that there's nothing to be afraid of? That's what we're going to do right now as we take communion. You can get your elements out right now. If ever we needed to take communion as a church, it's after this sermon to just be reminded of the body and the blood. If you didn't get one, just raise your hand right where you're at. Our team will find you. We're gonna set up a moment for those of you who are walking in relationship to Jesus. This is where you remember the price that has been paid for your sin. And I would love husbands to pray over their wives, but more than anything, I wanna pray that we would be a part of the light advancing in the darkness in whatever way we've been called. And we wouldn't be afraid of the target that comes with that. We would be more afraid of wasting this opportunity. One more up there. I know you guys are heading up there. Keep raising your hand if you didn't get one. Communion stations are available throughout this room if you wanna kneel and come take communion there. We're gonna take a second in the presence of God and then we're gonna come back and sing. Y'all be blessed.